This episode is brought to you by The Oxford Method, the world's only online, year-round Oxford and Cambridge University preparatory program for international students wanting to attend Britain's top universities. If you want to have the closest experience to an Oxford and Cambridge education to prepare you for the world's top universities, go to www.theoxfordmethod.co.uk. This episode is also brought to you by our wonderful patrons. If you enjoy the Coffee and Cocktails podcast, you can support the show by becoming a patron for just one pound per month. Just head over to patreon.com slash coffee and cocktails podcast and subscribe today. Otherwise, we'd like to give a shout out to our Gold Star member, Mary M. Thanks for listening and on with the show. Hello and welcome to Coffee and Cocktails. I'm your host, Dr. Ann Wand. We have the pleasure today of listening to Maj Masharawi, who will be talking to us about how a female entrepreneur can achieve success in a male-dominated society. But rather than ask what drink you were having for the show, Maj, would you like to begin? Um, hi, Anne. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, well, uh, before asking about the drink, um, Today is Ramadan. It's the 15th day of Ramadan, which is a holy month for Muslims around the world. So we are, we are planning to have a couple of cocktails tonight. Um, I'm doing myself bananas and strawberries. Mm. I'm also having lemon with mint, which is uh, like a quiet um, um, favorite uh, drink for, for fasting. And uh, we, had, we have also mango juice. Oh, mango juice. That sounds delightful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, would you like to begin your, your talk? I'd love to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Before beginning my talk, what are you drinking now? Well, what am I drinking? Um, I'm having I'm having water. Yeah. I have this annoying cough I've had since uh, my daughter went back to nursery. So I've got a cough drop, kind of like a chipmunk in my cheek. And I'm currently sucking on it as we speak. So <laughs> I'll try not to cough too much during the show, but we'll just have to see how it goes. <laughs> okay. So I will uh, kick it off with uh, the presentation. Today I tried to make it short and sweet, uh, including a couple of uh, photos and and also the milestones of my journey. Um, so I will speak about three main points uh, tonight or today. One is, uh, I will speak about Gaza, uh, like in general, the women's situation in Gaza, um, and like some percentages, some facts that the media is not showing. Uh, second thing, I will talk about my own journey, how I go through all of these odds to achieve the success. What does it, what does it mean and how does it feel for a woman entrepreneur uh, to, be, to be successful despite all the challenges? And through my story, I wanted to tell you some gaps, some successes. That's going to help maybe hopefully the listeners who go through similar challenges. And the third one is how can you be part of this journey? Like we are strong together. Um, women should, should come together and, and work on like a, sh a couple of shared visions so we can, we can really be hopefully one day leaders in the world. Um, so let's start with Gaza. What is behind uh, women in Gaza? Unfortunately, the early marriage under 18 years old in Gaza reached to 20.5% uh, in, in our community, which is like really, really one of the highest percentages in the Arab countries. Uh, it used to be really higher, like around like 40 to 50%. It's decreasing because the level of education is, in, is increasing. So if you wanted to talk about also how many women in Gaza 
uh, like what married women experience, go through uh, sexual abuse, around 15% of married women who experience incidents of sexual abuse by their husbands. And more than 40% of women have sexual abuse by the society. So not their, through their husband, they are, the, they are unmarried. So they have it like through their work in the street, at school and college in different places. Uh, the rate of unemployment among young women in Gaza is um, around like 92%. It means all the graduated women from college end up without jobs. Because the total unemployment ratio among men and women is 70%. Women um, themselves is about 92%. We really, you can hardly find um, uh, women in places like uh, like banks and telecommunication companies work. Like most of these companies are hiring men and also other cooperatives as well. And the same time, which makes you like think twice about these realities, um, the education rate uh, in 1995 was around 80%, and now it's 94% among women. Uh, it means like we have really high education level among women while we have also high unemployment. Um, uh, for me, uh, none of my friends is not educated. Like most of them are educated. Um, more than 50% of them are like having high degrees, like master and PhD. At the same time, none of them is having a job. So you have a pool of talented women, pool of educated women, pool of amazing women, pool of huge potential for women. At the same time, you cannot find access to opportunities and access to the world. The photo of this slide in the back is a photo of a family living in the north of Gaza. And this woman herself, who, is not, who doesn't have electricity in her house, is, is, is educated and she goes to college. So just imagine even not having like a proper house, proper life conditions, you don't have electricity, high unemployment ratio, and still she goes to college. And when you ask her, why do you go to college? Because she says, if I cannot find a job, at least I can educate my kids in the future so they can have a proper education and they can find jobs. Um, so how did my journey started? My name is Majd Masharawi. I'm a Palestinian who was, who was born in Gaza. I grew up in Gaza. And in 2016, I launched my, actually it was in late 2015, 2016, I launched my first company, Green Cake Bricks. The reason behind launching Green Cake was I got to engineering. I studied civil engineering. And during my life college, I launched a couple of startups. One of them I sold, two others uh, failed. But by the end of like my last year in college, um, um, it, was around, it was like 2015, directly after 2014 war. And Gaza has been through three wars in the past 10 years, which, makes, like, which made, made thousands of people lose their houses. And these people now, most of them are, are still waiting on lines to get rebuilding material to rebuild their houses from United Nations Development Program. At the same time, we have a lot of rappel from these houses left with no use. So I thought, why not use this rappel, produce a new kind of building blocks to rebuild the houses to help people. So through my company, I, was, I had no business background. I, was just, I just thought, how can I help people? rebuild their houses using my educational background. And that's exactly how most of the women in my society think. They think, okay, I have a challenge in my life. For example, I have no income, or my grandma is suffering from heart uh, attacks, or like my, my cousins are suffering from energy shortage. 
So we think, like I thought of the pain. The pain was people have no access to building materials. So how can I produce a new kind of building of bricks to help people rebuild their houses? Um, in 2016, um, um, Green Cake won the Japan Gas Innovation Challenge. And in 2017, I traveled for the first time outside of Gaza, which most of the women or most of the youth cannot do it. Like Gaza lived under a blockade since 2006. And 2006 means like people can't travel. In order to leave Gaza, you need to obtain four different permits. One from Israel, one from the government in Gaza, one from the government in Ramallah, and one from uh, non-objection from Jordan. To get to four permits at the same time is kind of like impossible thing. In 2017, when I got the Japan Gas Innovation Challenge, 2016, when I won the Japan Gas Innovation Challenge, United Nations Refugees and Working Agency, UNRWA, um, uh, sponsored my exit permit. And I, I, I ended up in 2017 for the first time in Japan, from Gaza to Japan, to refine my Brexit product. I got the training in one of the best and the biggest Japanese construction companies. They tested my bricks and they sent it back. That's what I mean by the opportunity. I had the idea. There was a pain. This idea solving this pain. I just need the access to the world. I went back to Gaza with so much knowledge, with a different perspective, different background, and a lot of energy. Because I feel that the world is listening to what I'm, what I'm doing and what I'm saying now. Um, in the same year, I found that I need some business skills. Like engineering skills is not enough. We started our production. In the same year, same year I got a, um, a fellowship, uh, a grant program in the U.S., um, and I went to study business for three months before this program. Moving to the U.S. was a life-changing experience for me. For someone who came from a conservative community um, and a society that says for women everything is no, because you're a woman, for me, the United States was the gate of freedom. It was my first time to decide on my own. It was my first time to think of my own. It was my first time to say what I like and what I dislike which things I didn't use to. Um, and in the same year, um, they said, we will support a company, not a green cake, not the BRICS company. We need you to come up with a new idea. And this is what I mean by empowerment. When you empower people, you don't have to empower them to do one thing. You empower people to do different things. So that year, I had the idea, I launched my second company, Sandbox. Sunbox is a social enterprise that aims to provide access to, um, to solar energy, to off-grid communities in the Middle East using renewable energies. We've started the company inside Gaza in 2017, and now we've been operating for four years. For the past four years, we've achieved a great success. First one is we've provided more than 65,000 people with energy inside Gaza. We've also provided thousands and hundreds of thousands of uh, clean water for villages inside Gaza through desalination plants powered by solar energy. We've also worked in the health sector, providing disabled children with electricity to run their nebulizers. And the reason behind this project was a woman. I remember when we wanted to do a health project, I was watching women carrying their kids for like five to 10 kilometers on their feet to run their nebulizers in the nearest clinic or the nearest mosque. They are always the ones who carry all, everything on their shoulders. And these women themselves, they go back home, they cook for the rest of the kids. 
and she serves as a wife. So just imagine like how many women in Gaza have disabled the children that they need medical device, they need electricity to run their medical devices. We run this program for around 16 disabled children funded by different generous donors and partners. Um, we've also worked in the educational sector providing online solar courses for university students, female and male engineers. Our company grew from three uh, co-founders and now we are 15 people. In 2020, we decided to scale up. Um, so I moved to, do, to Saudi Arabia and we've launched our second company inside the Saudi market. Now we have, uh, a, like our company is incorporated in the United Kingdom with two subsidiaries, one in Palestine and one in, in Saudi Arabia. The company in Palestine now is serving the community. We've signed contracts. One of them is funded by the EU. The other one is Kuta Institute to provide co-work spaces with solar energy. And the uh, the uh, the company in Saudi Arabia is going to work on providing mosques in Saudi with the solar energy to use their rooftops and inject their electricity back in the in the grid. Through this long journey, uh, what I wanted to say is, um, it was not just for me, Green Cape was not just a company that produces vending blocks. And Sunbox was not just a company that uh, that provides solar energy to affected communities in Gaza. For me, it was a journey of hard work, uh, going against a lot of things. I remember going to meetings and explain about Sunbox and how to bring things across the border, ship everything from China to Ashdod in Israel and then ship it all the way to Gaza. I had to talk to military officers. I had to talk to the Palestinian authority, going from a tax authority to another to get things done. And no one took me seriously in the beginning. So we had to hire a man who, who would be the cover. Uh, also, when you wanted to install some solar system in the beginning, we had no money to hire workers. So we had to do it by ourselves. Some of the families were rejecting to let me touch anything because of our because they don't trust their, in the ability of women installing solar panels. Now I tell you, and even our company, you can see women standing on the rooftop cutting solar panels, do all the wiring for the solar systems. In the same neighborhood, same villages where I stood three years ago and they didn't let me do it. Kaiser engineers, uh, female, who, who were directing like groups of engineers, like five and six engineers and tell them what to do. We were, uh, Sunbox was the first Palestinian company in the solar sector headed by a woman. So we paved the road for so many, not only not only companies, but also international organizations to start to provide courses for female engineers and female technicians in the solar sector. I've also served as a mentor. Um, so I worked as a mentor for so many startups, their co-founders, or one of their co-founders is a woman. One of the startups now exited to the Saudi market as well, providing online courses for all the universities inside the region. This startup was launched by two engineer sisters that teaches that teach um, programming courses for university students inside Gaza. We've also worked on different things like summits, events. We funded events for university students, females. Um, about their startups. I invested myself in um, a small startup called Peace of Palestine to create hand embroidered stuff and ship it all the way to the United States and Europe. And this day, in this than a year, this startup hired 40 women 
work on this handicap thing. And we were producing huge amounts, ship it all the way from Gaza, take it in my luggage outside, where producing and shipping outside of Gaza is really prohibited. Um, so the question is, did the society believe in me? Did my family believe in me? The answer is yes. Not only them, but also the world. I witnessed the change in my community and like in, on the level of my family and the level of my community and in the level of the world. So far, uh, our work was recognized by big international media outlets uh, like BBC, The Guardian, The Independent, the, B the NBC, CNN, Al Jazeera. We were like literally on everywhere. Um, I, I heard a lot of like good words, especially from women in my community saying, you made us proud. You made it, you made it possible. I remember my colleagues in, in college used to tell me that I'm the dreamy woman because I have a lot of dreams of having my own business traveling the world. And yes, I'm the girl of dreams because yes, I traveled the world. I went to 25 countries with no passport. I have no passport. I have a travel, a Palestinian travel document. So it, it, like I made it happen. And it didn't happen because, because I'm capable. It happened because I believed in it. I had big faith in myself, big faith in my ideas, big faith in the work we are doing. This is number one. Number two is I also believe in my team. I, also, I always surrounded myself by a team who believed in my leadership skills, who got my back. Plus my family, my parents were like super supportive. Although in the beginning where I, they were against a lot of my ideas, but when we went through the journey, when I had some successes in the beginning and they felt what I'm doing is tangible, they believed in it. My dad himself, who really stopped in my face when I wanted, I wanted to launch some books, he invested in the company after a few years. He also got us a lot of contracts. He worked with us. Two of my brothers are now co-founders of my company. So, so this, like, this thing made me really powerful feel. I feel that you can make it possible. I remember sometimes I got like I got into a bad, bad, really bad situation where I lost so much money and I ended up having blood pressure problems. I could not sleep in, in like at night for hours and hours. And now we are entering the Saudi market and we have the same pressure of can we get get this done? Can we get contracts? We've launched a company for the past six months. We try to meet people. It's a new society. I go through so many crazy stuff because, again, I'm a woman in a men-dominant society like Saudi Arabia, which is really crazy. Um, like, and, and a lot of things happen, but by the end of the day, I know it's like it takes time, but I will see the light soon. Um, our work also was awarded by prestigious awards. One of them is the Muhammad Ali Humanitarian Award, which is the photo in the back. Muhammad Ali was my role model. Not because he's a man, but because he's very um, um, he's very determined. Um, you know, he, he he's he's the man of the people. You know, so I wanted to be the woman of the people. Um, he was peaceful. He called for human for humanity for human rights. Um, he was the one who said, "My vision is beyond boxing." And what I always say is, "My vision is beyond sandbox and providing the light." My vision um, is to make sure that every off-grid community in the Middle East will have solar energy through, through supporting each other. So we plan to create a great success here in Saudi, hopefully. And this investment will go to create social impact funds in off-grid communities and refugee camps 
uh, in Lebanon, Jordan, and Syria. We've also been awarded the MIT Pan Arab Competition for Entrepreneurs. Uh, we were competing among 6,000 teams worldwide. We were the first Gazan company ever who got it. We've also got, in 2017, from His Royal Highness Hamad bin Rashid Al Maktoum, the prize, the Emirates Energy Award. I've got some photos for you. As you can see in this photo, not a lot of faces for women, but you still see faces. So my speech that day, I was like, I'm so glad I got this award. I know it's something very special and something very big, but I hope to see more women faces in this picture. I was one of the youngest, by the way, that day. Look at myself. <laughs> I was a little bit happy. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> this is the award. <laughs> <laughs> And this is the uh, Japan Gas Innovation Challenge. Uh, when we speak, when I spoke about uh, the Green Impact, this is when I got the Mohammed, the MIT Pan Arab Competition. And this day was for me was one of the saddest day in my life because I could not get my team to uh, to go through the award experience because of the borders and the permits. I remember, and, and the same day of presenting, making the final pitch to and we had the great match of victor. And I was watching the news and the people who was killed in Gaza uh, um, for marching uh, by the border. And, and then I had to go present my people. So it was really, really, really hard on me. And I was alone. All the teams were complete. I was the only one who had one team member. We had there like around 110 teams out of 6,000 who applied. And 110 teams were all complete teams except our team. So everyone was preparing with each other, dressing the same, knowing what to say. And then I entered the room and I wanted to present and they said, hi, what is your team? And I was like, no one is here except me. I was like, oh, why did you come? And I started to explain. And then my tears went out of my, of my, of my eyes. And I said, listen, I'm, I know I'm, I don't know if I'm going to win today, but I'm going to present something that people really need in Gaza, electricity. So we got the award. So I'm glad it ended up good. This is the Muhammad Ali Humanitarian Award. This is also this also was a sad day for me because my parents were supposed to join me and they got the permit one day after the awarding ceremony. So we did for them um, all the uh, permits, everything. We got we only had the Israeli permit waiting. We got it one day after the awarding ceremony. So they end up in Jordan and I, was, I ended up in the United States. They could not even come to join me. So I was literally alone that day. And I called one, my, one of my mentors and she said, you will not be alone. And she took a flight away from Boston to Kentucky to Cincinnati, which is a crazy trip. And she drove all the way to come to be with me. Um, I got the Muhammad Ali Humanitarian Award for Confidence. So they have six awards, one on spirituality, confidence, and a lot of other things that Muhammad Ali believed in. And I got it for the confidence because they said I'm very confident about what I'm doing. I've also, one of the biggest things I've done in my life, also my TED Talk. I spoke at TED Women 2018 in California. And also on this day, Dr. Anne, what happened is my parents could not join me. So it was a full package, the speaker and two of his, his or her parents. I ended up preparing by myself Everyone had their mom and or their dad or their friend was alone, dressing up alone, preparing, memorizing my speech alone. 
So I don't really remember in any of these stages uh, someone is standing by myself except myself. And so, yeah, so what I wanted to say is, what I wanted to say is, uh, you are strong if you wanted to be strong, and you are weak if you wanted to be weak. Of course, we are strong, we will be stronger when we have the beloved one beside us, but it's not a physical thing. Like, you can have a lot of people around you, but no one loves you, loves you or no one appreciates what you do, so it's useless. But when you have one person who thinks of you but very away, will give you a lot of strength. What is our next step? What are we planning to do? One of the main things I'm working on now is 1,022,000 Global Partnership Youth Summit um, by the Global Challenges Forum. So we are planning to do it. Um, we are planning to do it. Uh, we are planning to do a youth summit here in Saudi Arabia by the end of this year. Um, through MIST Foundation, through United Nations uh, Development Program in Saudi. Uh, and in this uh, summit, we will include a part 50% participants will be women, 50% will be men students from all around the world uh, who will come to Saudi to present their ideas and their startups. One of the things also I'm working on is Right to Rest Summit, which is a, a summit for the first summit for, for Palestinian women. Um, it was supposed to happen last year. It could not happen due to COVID. We postponed it till this year. Um, some people will ask me, how can we support? We have so many ways to support. Uh, you can be a mentor to a woman, which is uh, Dr. Owen and also proposed to be a mentor, thankful to you. So you can be a, a man, we have a lot of startups in Gaza headed by women that they need mentorship and coaching in business. Um, uh, we, we can also help through like investing in these startups. If you're in, it doesn't take it doesn't take a lot of time or a lot of money to follow up with it because it's it's usually it's gonna like start as a small and then when it grows up, it can be organized through different entrepreneurship organizations. And the third thing, which is very important, distribute the message. We really wanted the world to, to know the story, to tell it, and also to appreciate it. And to see these women, we have great stories. Like, honestly, if you see my story, I know it, you would say, oh, wow, it's impressive. There are so many women who have amazing stories inside my community, but they didn't get the opportunity I got of telling it. Um, that's all for today. This is the background of Gaza, my favorite city in the world. And thank you. Well, thank you. That was really, really interesting. Um, I'll give you a little clap. A little clap. Yeah, um, I I really enjoyed what you had to talk about. And I know that um, in previous conversations, we've dived into some of the challenges. And I think um, one of the things in entrepreneurship that um, maybe isn't, talked about as much as it could be talked about is um, what it's really like trying to get something off the ground. And I think, um, you know, there's challenges and then there's challenges. And I think what you have really demonstrated is that you're in the second category where you're literally dealing with not just red tape, but like literal red tape and barriers and police forces and, you know, gender biases and everything else. And I suppose one of the things I would really, I think it'd be really interesting to hear from your perspective is, you know, you have, you've had these ideas, but what were the sort of the baby steps that you felt you needed to take in order to get these ideas off the ground? You know, it's got to start somewhere. And what, what did that look like for you? 
Um, well, I, I want to be honest with you and tell you, I have this passion since I was a kid. Some people say that entrepreneurs are born as entrepreneurs. Some people they say entrepreneurs are not born, but they learn skills through years. I was active in my community since I was a kid. Um, I really cared about people. Although I came from a family where my parents like give me everything I need, like proper education, proper internet, um, um, different languages. And uh, they surround, they really isolated us from the community and they built their own community, which was good in a way. And from the other way, it really helped me to think of how can I help other people to, to elevate them to my level. So I was always curious about how people think and how people feel. Like two blocks away from my house was a camp. And I was crossing by camp, this camp every morning when I go to college or I go to school. So I was really curious as how people, those people survive in the hard winter. How do people, how these people have internet? Um, so this, this sense of feeling uh, gave me the first step of, I know the pain, I know my society, how can I use my education to solve it? This is number one. Number two is I always surrounded myself by the ones who really, really, really believed in me and they advised me. The first ones were my parents. So when I have something in my mind, it's like, dad, I think I can do this. I was like, yes, you can do it. Here are the resources, just go do it. I remember, I, ha I remember having my own chemical lab in the age of 14 and 16 mm, wow. inside my house. So my parents really gave me all the resources and, and, and they also teach me how to choose the right people to be my, by my side. It's like, for example, this person, she's good as your friend, but don't keep her close to you. This mm. person is good as your friend, but don't keep her very close to you. And this plus reading, like I was reading a lot, um, a lot of stories, a lot of things over the internet. I was updated with the technology side. Like I was very away from politics. I isolated myself from politics uh, up to date, even today. Like people feel I'm crazy because I say I'm not a politician. It was like, oh, you are a politician by identity. Come on. It's like true, I'm a politician, but I choose to take the other route, which is, you know, empowering people, building things out of, instead of just wasting my time on carrying a gun. And I have other ways, you know, to support my case, my Palestinian case, my people, which is my education. So these are, these were the first step of the whole journey. Wow. Wow. Um, you talked about how, um, you're sort of, there's always needs to be that momentum to keep going. And um, one of the things I've noticed in what you were talking about and listening to other sort of entrepreneurial podcasts and other innovative speakers is they talk about the importance of a team. And I think that, um, you know, it's, it's good to have an idea and it's good to have that passion. But I was wondering if you could explain to listeners and viewers why a team is so important so that you don't feel like an army of one. Yeah. Um, I think like having a team, a well-structured team is one of the main successes or one of the main reasons of success for any startup. Like I've witnessed amazing teams with like an idea that no anyone can do and they've made it a huge success because they are a good team. And I've noticed amazing ideas, patentable ideas that fall apart because the team was not good. I can remember a friend of mine, three women and one guy founded a company that makes a new kind of cheese and they got a patent on it. And then the team fall, fall and the whole company collapsed because everyone was selfish. So creating a team is very, very important. 
And it shouldn't be your friends. It shouldn't be your family. It comes by nature. You choose what is the best for the company, not as what's the best for you. Because for you, you can have so many friends. But mm-hmm. what serves the company the best? And what pushes the company forward? And who believes who believe in you? Not as a friend, but as a leader for the company. Because if you are the CEO and you are a woman, it's different. It was really hard in the beginning for the, for the team who was consist of a couple of men to believe in my decisions by saying, I think this is the best. And instead of supporting me, they just say no because I'm a woman and they think I'm not capable of making decisions. Mm-hmm. And so and I'm, I'm not telling you that this, is, this, this, this disappeared 100%, but I created the team in a way where, where, where if someone is against my idea, I will have 90% of the team with my idea. Right. Okay? Mm. So creating a team should not be emotional. It should be based on what your company needs, what mm. your company, what serves your company the best, what serves your idea the best. Mm. If you cannot create a team now and pay for them, you can work and you can hire people part-time. You can also have volunteers and entrants until you get the money to create the proper team. Other than that, don't get people into your team because you need them. Get people in your team that serves you for the whole life of your startup. Like some people, for example, because they need a programmer, they will get like just a bad guy programmer and they would give him percentage of the company because they need it and they don't have money to pay for it. I would say, no, wait, because this destroys the idea, literally. You should be careful of choosing who you wanted to join your journey. Well, I think it's also about, you know, they represent the company, right? So they're they're the face. And if they're not up to 100%. par with yeah. what you want to represent, then it could ruin the yeah. entire the entire point of why you established this in the first place. Um the other yeah. thing I'd be my, curious. My dad said, I will follow up on this point. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Yeah. My dad, my my dad, when we launched the company, told me, Majd, if one of the team members says I instead of we, that's the end of your company. That's the beginning of the end. Mm-hmm. So you always should hire people who say we, not I. Mm-hmm. And you should hire people who think of the company before thinking of themselves. Because this is a bot. If everyone is, is I don't know how to say how they do it this way, is battling together, the bot will move. If four people will battle and fifth one will battle against them, it will slow up, slow up, slow up the, the board until you stop. Mm. Because others may join him. So you, f- you should find people who battle in the same way, in the same direction. Yeah. No, that's really, really good advice. Um, the other thing I'd be curious to know, um, how do you go about establishing trust? And I know that that's a really vague question, but it is something that I think is good in terms of developing networking skills, people skills, um, getting people on your side. And I was wondering if you just had a few tips on how you go about establishing trust to that degree. Well, it's really, it's, trust is the hardest thing in the, in the startup and, and even in the company. And by the time goes, when the time goes and things scales up, trust becomes harder and harder in people. Because the ones who you trust in the beginning, they might have other intentions when you are successful. Uh, for me, I really don't trust anyone. Like I said, I don't trust you unless I spend so much time with you, 
you learn about me, I learn about you, I work with you, we eat together, we work together, we do everything together. And then I start building trust. I don't give for a trust because I've given for a trust to different people before. One of them was my co-founder. And, and it was, it was a destroying experience for me. I got really destroyed emotionally because of this. So don't give a trust easily, especially mm-hmm. entrepreneurs. When they launch their companies in the beginning, they, they, they become so enthusiastic about the idea and they think they can achieve the success easily. And then they get a little bit of income and think they are successful. So they start to trust people, you know, so easily because they think it's easy to happen. No, it's not. And you shouldn't trust people. Again, my dad told me advice. Don't you trust the person unless they show you the opposite. Some people you trust. And then when people show them the opposite, they don't trust. No, but I'm saying don't you trust unless the person in front of you show you the opposite. Mm. And he also told me, don't give for a trust. Give a little bit of a trust. And when the person in front of you gives you trust back, trust them more a little bit. Mm. So it's like you give a trust, you take trust. You give a trust, you take trust. So it's mm. like waves. It goes, it goes back and forth. And then don't give ultimate trust until the person in front of you will control everything. You give them a trust based on their possession, what their possession requires. So they can move with it. When you give full trust, the person in front of you, most of the people think when you trust them a lot, they think they can take the control of things. And also they think you are, honestly, they think you are foolish. Mm-hmm. You give, we've given them a trust. They don't appreciate it. They feel that it's a weak point for you and instead of taking it as a strength point to make a success. So this, ah, the person is foolish. If he, if she gives me trust, she would give anyone. Unfortunately, some women are very emotional. Mm. And emotions mean they give a trust, they get betrayed, they trust again the same person and they get betrayed again. I like relationships. Everyone says, I'm sorry. Oh, don't be sorry. Okay, it's okay. Yeah. Honestly, like having a company is like marriage. You are marrying the company. You're marrying everyone in the company. So when you marry someone, you build your life with them step by step. It doesn't come upon the every learn a new thing about your husband or your life partner. Okay. It's exactly the company. Everything you learn something new about your team. And I've been through so many experiences up to date, up to last week, up to last week, where I trust one and then didn't deserve it. So what I wanted to say is like, you have to really be careful because it's a destroying experience. It's a destructive experience. Mm. Mm. No, I, th- I think that that's really good advice. I mean, I know that, you know, my, my dad's given me, you know, similar advice about making sure you keep your cards close to your chest. You know, um, don't, don't give away too much because the last thing you want is somebody taking that idea and then creating a newer 2.0 version of something that you've spent quite a significant amount of time trying to create. So I think that that's really uh, sage advice. Um, And I was going to say, before we wrap up, what sort of advice do you have for those who are afraid to take the first steps to uh, pursue their dreams, especially with regards to um, starting their own businesses? First time doesn't wait for anyone, okay? It goes. If you don't take the opportunity now, it's going to go for someone else. And you will end up watching people achieving your dreams and enjoying the successes, enjoying the fruits. And you will just end up watching. This is number one. So don't waste time 
looking for something, don't waste time looking for others who can achieve your dreams while you could achieve it in the time where they did. That's number one. Number two is always surround your people by the ones you've spent so much time with and you know they can lift, lift you up. They can take you up with them. Don't just spend time with the ones who take your energy away and they just keep the poisonous ideas and bad ideas in your head just to destroy you. And other ones you should spend your life with. Surround yourself by the ones who are successful so you can be successful like them. If you surround yourself with the losers, you will be loser like them. Number two. Number three is we are, as women, we are really capable of doing amazing, great things. But we always think that we don't have abilities like men. I've done in my life what most of the men in my country haven't done. Okay? And I've done in my life where, where cousins, men, cousins, brothers, and like even like sometimes my dad tells me, you remind myself when I was in your age and my dad is a man. So imagine I'm a woman in this conservative community. So you can achieve what others fail to do. You believe in yourself. I really, really believed in myself. When everyone told me this is not going to happen, I knew it's happened. It's going to happen. When everyone told me, just give up on your dream, it's not going to achieve, I believed that one day I would be here today. So it wasn't a surprise for me that Sandbox is going to be an international company one day because I knew it's going to happen. But I knew also that it takes a lot of time and a lot of patience. And I was patient. Things need time. If you think that everyone who became successful became successful by luck, that's not true. Luck is not the key of success. Hard work is the, luck, the key of success. Patience is the key of success. You have to be patient. You have to, really, you have to surround yourself by the ones who can help you to achieve your dreams. That's my advice from my own experience. And this recipe... It's really, it's really beneficial. It really worked out for me. So I think if some people would take it, it may work out as well. That's wonderful and in, and incredibly reassuring as well. Um, and I've I've got to say, you know, that's that's it from us at Coffee and Cocktails with your host, Dr. Ann Wand. And I, I genuinely want to thank you again, Maj, for your wonderful and inspiring talk this afternoon. Uh, and if you enjoyed listening to Maj or watching her as well, feel free to subscribe to our channel, leave a comment or tell a friend about our show. It's support from our viewers and listeners that really helps us to keep the show going. Otherwise, that's it for now. Thanks for listening and have a great week.